Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we attempt to get out of the way and let the Bible speak, revealing the person and presence of King Jesus today. Good morning. Here we are in the middle of, I guess, summer, and I am in Acts 9. I'm Michael Mattis. If you're new here, if you're online, I want to look into the camera and say welcome. We're glad that you are joining us. So we are headed towards Acts 9, but before we go there, I want to share something that just happened over this last weekend because I think it's pertinent to the life of the church. Okay, So 13 months ago, we started a discipleship group that we called a Jesus Journey Discipleship Group. Has anybody heard of that? Somebody, I heard a woo. So what was interesting is I invited a number of guys to join me in this 12-month journey. It became a 13-month journey. And it was a rigorous, not rigorous in an academic sense, rigorous in a heart sense. But a rigorous journey of discovery and really all built on developing a deep abiding, maybe even conversational relationship with God Almighty, King Jesus, the Lord of the universe. And so what, uh, in a nutshell, what these guys came to do, and they were really guinea pigs. But what they came to do and what they agreed to do is we were going to go through a book a month. And in addition to the book a month, they were going to write up every single month sort of what happened and what the Holy Spirit did in their hearts as a result of the book or what he spoke to them. We would meet with each other throughout the month. We only met once a month. We did an opening retreat. We did a closing retreat. They did a five-year journal. They did a one-year Bible. There was scripture memory. And every single meeting we had, there was lots of tears, lots of transparency, lots of vulnerability, lots of openness. And the heart, and even one of the reasons we actually just hired Pastor Daniel, he's, I don't know where Pastor Daniel's sitting right now, there he is, but one of the reasons we even hired him was to help us build a church that actually builds disciples. And the heart behind this even group in the last 13 months, it was a lot of time and a lot of energy, but was how do we help a group of people begin to actually practice the presence of Jesus, begin to walk in the way of Jesus, begin to be um, grounded in the word, but also attuned to hearing the voice of God and walking practically day by day and dealing with all of the character issues that most of us face. And if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to deal with, we hit roadblocks on our spiritual journey. You know what I'm saying? So this past weekend, we went up to the mountains, and we actually, while we were there, we paddled uh, 10 miles on the New River. It was great fun. Um, but the, the lion's share, though, of what we did was deep sharing and openness with the Lord, a lot of writing, a lot of introspection. So what I would love to do is I would actually love, if you were one of those 10 guys, would you be willing to stand up? A few of them are here today, not everybody. I think we're missing a few. So here's what I want you to know, and I don't really want you to feel left out, although if you, if you have a tinge inside of you as a man or a woman, you go, man, I would love something like that. I've got good news for you. We are working towards folding in regular sort of our, our two small group launches that happen a year and sort of an annual Jesus Journey discipleship group, both for men and for women, and creating, Pastor Daniel's actually been helping me to sort of condense and shift and move some things around to actually move it into the annual life cycle of our church. 
So what we really want to do is, is begin the journey of not just reading the Bible, but finding ourselves in it, living, if you will, in the holy overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, of the Word, and then allowing, in our case, it was like iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, to live it out in practical, day-to-day, like really tangible ways, and being willing to look at each other and saying, hey, did you realize that probably doesn't reflect the heart of the king? You may need to repent, change something, address it. But that is where life, I think, and discipleship happens. So we've kind of had one of the guys in the group actually said, people think this is a secret society. <laughs> it's not a secret society. It was a, it was a guinea pig group, okay? And we spent 13 months sort of going, is this something that we can take and tweak and change and launch? So in the coming months, just be aware this is something. And we strategically even said, hang on, we are not going to push the accelerator on church growth because we want to make sure that we have a discipleship model that honors God, honors people, moves individuals towards greater health and intimacy with him in their marriages, lives, parenting, finances, character, you name it, all the areas, right? And then as we we move into calling people into that discipleship or Jesus journey, we want to make sure that we have some pathways that are well-defined. And I want to say, I'm so proud of these 10 guys. It is not easy to walk with me for 13 months. They'll tell you. (laughs) Says one of them now. Okay, so stay tuned for that as I spill my water and giggle. Thank you, Tony. The Lord's doing something unique here, though, and, I, and our heart is also to pioneer and to build something, not to build the name of Saltbox or how far we go, but rather to build a tool that could be like an equipping and transferable type of tool that churches elsewhere could come and learn from and then take it back to their home church. So I don't speak a lot about vision. I don't, God just hasn't released me yet. But I believe that God has called us to actually be a church that builds and develops tools and things that helps empower the larger body of Christ. So I, I care very little about the size of our seating sort of capacity, if you will. But I care very much that we are a people that is worshiping God, experience the full, experiencing the full abiding, infilling presence of the Holy Spirit, knowing King Jesus, knowing one another, and then building and developing things that we can use to empower and send to the larger body. Yeah? I think that's worth our time and energy. Somebody say, come on, if you're not a Christian and you're not used to people who say amen, well, welcome to the journey. Hang on. Amen just means so be it. So be it. Amen. Okay, I am in, and feel free, any of you all who want to talk to one of those guys, to talk to them. One of the things that I just asked Spencer, uh, who are in that Jesus Journey Discipleship group, I just asked Spencer back here if he'll help put together a video of some of their highlights as they share, and maybe even some of what their spouses would say. But feel free to talk to some of those guys as we continue down this discipleship, uh, sort of architecturing, if you will, a discipleship pathway. Okay. I am in Acts 9. I'm going to read a small number of verses. That's probably odd for me. I am going to cross-reference Mark 9. So if you've got a paper Bible, you're heading to Acts 9. If you're new and you're not used to Bible work and whatever, that's no problem. There's a one-year Bible and a hardback Bible out on the welcome table. We'd love for you to grab one. Sometimes you'll see people carrying Bibles and pens and highlighters. That's just the way we kind of roll. If you want to use your phone, that's fine too. But I'm going to cross-reference from Acts 9, Mark I think I said Mark 9, and I'm also going to do a short cross-reference over to 1 Corinthians 1. 
So here's what we're going to look at. We're talking about the Apostle Peter. So if you've been here the last few weeks, the Apostle Paul, who was formerly called Saul, has gone into a silent decade of breaking and humbling and developing an intimate walk and relationship with the Lord. And he walks off the pages of Scripture for a few chapters and 10 years while he sows tents in Tarsus. So that's what the Apostle Paul is doing at this moment in Scripture. Okay, so, but we're going to pick up in verse 31. And as we do that, we're going to take a look at how God refers to his people, which translation there to today is how God refers to you, how God refers to me, how God refers to his church. We're going to take a look at the geographical location that this little scenario is about to unfold in. We're going to take a look at this sick, paralyzed man who is on a mat. We're going to talk about this mat that he is on, and then we're going to get into what Peter says to him and how that applies to us. And in the middle of that, I'm going to share an open and honest, vulnerable story that might make you uncomfortable. Okay? All right, let's go. Acts 9, starting in verse 31. Yeah, I said 32, but I'm going to do 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. This is after they sent Saul back to Tarsus. Living in the fear of the Lord... And encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. That's beautiful, isn't it? As Peter, verse 32, traveled... Now, just quick reminder, if you don't know, Peter was one of the apostles that was closest to King Jesus. He was, like, passionate and headstrong and stuck his foot in his mouth all the time. And he had all the right answers and he knew how to tell everybody what to do until the end. And he denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And there's this powerful scene where Jesus is in the process of being crucified. And Peter denies Jesus for the third time, just like Jesus foretold in the book of Luke it actually says that the eyes of Jesus look over and you get this this poignant moment where the eyes of Jesus meet the eyes of Peter and all the shame that Peter is most likely feeling in that moment and then all of the forgiveness, love, and grace that Jesus is, is extending to him even in the moment of his sin and his betrayal. And then we also, a couple months ago, went through the book of John and we got to see this beautiful thing in John 21 or 22 where uh, Jesus reinstates Peter as the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. So that's the Peter that we're talking about here. Okay, so verse 32, as Peter traveled about the country, what country are we talking about? Israel, that's right, okay. He went to visit the Lord's people. Now, I'm in reading out of the NIV. Many translations there actually say saints. And I think saints is more accurate to the biblical translation. Does anybody's Bible say saints? Oh, look at you, over half. Okay, cool. So to visit the, the saints, the Lord's saints, who lived in Lydda. So we're going to come back to this if I can do my work right this morning. But Lydda is in a, a place called the Elah Valley. And in the Elah Valley is where a little boy by the name of David killed a big giant by the name of Goliath. And anybody remember what he killed him with? Three little, three little river stones. He went out, this little boy went to fight this big giant with three little river stones. What a stupid thing. And he killed him. He won. Okay, so we're going to come back to that. Uh, Verse 33, there he found a man named Aeneas. So who found Aeneas? Peter found Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ Heals you. 
uh, present active. Didn't heal you in the past, healed you in the past, healed you in the present, will heal you. Jesus Christ heals you. Um, get up. Uh, some translations will say rise up. I think rise up is probably more accurate to the Greek. And roll up your mat. Now, what's interesting is this is just like something that Jesus did. I think it's in, I want to say Mark 2 and John 5. Um, but Jesus did something very similar to that. And, and what I love here is you have Peter who's coming in and he is um, directly following, or you could even use the word mimicking probably, but he is using the words of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, the way Jesus even performed the, the, those miracles. And so he is following in the footsteps of his Jesus. So Aeneas, Peter said uh, to him, Jesus Christ heals you, rise up. Or anastemi, onastemi is probably the way you would pronounce it. Onastemi, rise up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up and those who lived in Lydda uh, and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So there's like a revival that breaks out. Revival is just like Bible word for a bunch of people who um, are spiritually awakened and turn their attention to Yahweh God. So there's like a revival in this whole area because Peter rolls into the city, sees a guy who's been paralyzed for eight years, um, and then calls him to stand up and roll up his mat, which we're going to talk about. Why is that important? Okay, so let's uh, hit number one here. The first thing I want you to think through is God always refers, the Apostle Paul, when he opens his letters frequently in Scripture, he actually refers to his people as saints. And there's like a tension here, and I'm, I probably don't have time to fully develop the tension, but I at least want you to hold it. So when I say tension, um, I'm thinking of like a tug-of-war thing, or, you know, when you're holding two ends, two, two ends of, of a rope, you're holding it in tension. Um, but one of the things that the, the, uh, the historically the church of the last few generations um, has both missed and then had some excesses in is in this area. In, in other words, a lot of us, when we come to Christ, when we surrender our lives to Christ, we feel more comfortable living and parking our lives in this category that we're sinners. Are we? We are. But as God looks at those of us who, is, if you've exchanged your brokenness for the life of Christ in you and through you, so you give Jesus your brokenness, Jesus gives you his righteousness, therefore through the kingdom of God, through the eyes of heaven, through the lens of King Jesus, are you a sinner? You're now a Saint. And here's the, one of the, the mysteries of the Bible is what you think about yourself, what you say about yourself, what you declare yourself to be, as long as it's true, hypothetically, as long as it's true, is going to inform and dictate the decisions you make and how you respond to different situations. So if you're chronically beating yourself up thinking that you're a lousy sinner and your children are just annoying you no end, you get to the point that you want to... Maybe blow up at them. But if you are, uh, and in fact, I have these daily declarations I actually say over my life, and one of the things is that I'm a saint. So in that situation, because my identity is going to then sometimes inform my behavior, now does it always? No. And when I'm impatient and blow up at my kids or my wife or whatever, what do I do? Will you forgive me? I was 
wrong. Sorry is not good enough, in my opinion. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. But my identity begins to inform my decisions and even my reactions. And instead of just sort of exploding upon to them, I'm actually, if I'm in the spirit, which I'm not always, but if I'm in the spirit, I'm going to call them deeper and further into their own Jesus journey and their maturity process. You see how that works? So there's an identity inside of you, what you think and what you believe about yourself, your self-talk. I'm a lousy, no good sinner. Guess how you're going to respond? Lousy, no good sinner. I am a saint. I am a new creation. The very King of kings and the Lord of lords lives inside of me. His very presence is moving in me and through me. Guess how I'm going to respond? Like the King of kings and Lord of lords is calling these little people out of their own sin and flesh pattern into maturity and life in. Jesus. You follow me? So I think it's really, really important that you understand that God sees you as a saint. Now, as long as you're on planet Earth, if we looked at Romans and Paul, he would say you have a sin principle or a Sark's principle, a flesh pattern inside of you. And as long as you are living and breathing on this planet, you're going to have it. If I was like real transparent, I would say, I would have thought by 42 years old, I would have been so much further along the race. I mean, I really did. I thought when I was a kid, I grew up in a Christian home, I thought by the time I'm 42, I'll have all my mess together, I'll have it totally worked out, and I'll probably be a superstar Christian, and I'll be able to strut into a church and like, ooh, man, was I wrong. It's just the truth. But if you can begin to understand that when God refers to the people at Saltbox, he actually sees them as saints, when God looks at you, when God calls your name, when God thinks of you, if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, he sees you as a saint. Let that, church, if you will, write it in your notes, dig it down deep in your soul, appropriate it, grab it, which just means like make it your own. Take it from the pages of scripture, plant it in your heart, make it your own, and then begin to stand up, leaving the past behind, letting the old encumbrances of sin and the old man or woman is what Paul would actually call it, leave those things behind and step into the newness of King Jesus and all that he has for you. Do you do that only once? No. Michael was saved, Michael's being saved, Michael will be saved. Michael was filled, Michael's being filled with the Holy Spirit, Michael will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Michael was transformed, Michael will be transformed, Michael, Michael is transformed, Michael will continue to be transformed. You see it? Like as saints, we are progressively becoming more intimately and deeply acquainted with the person of Jesus. Now, if you fall, fail, or even sin really big, does that mean that you're an absolute loser and ought to be thrown out with the trash? No, and a lot of times in church, I don't know why, but we like shoot our wounded. Instead of like tending to our wounded and loving on them and encouraging them. And when you recognize that there's big sin or bondage or failure in your life, the posture is just one of surrender. And then even a lot of what we did in this discipleship journey over this last year was actually come and share open and honestly, not about our successes, but about our Failures, not for the point of like beating ourselves up or living in condemnation, but for the point of like shucking the old person off of us and stepping more and more into the newness of King Jesus, right? It's a beautiful process. It's the process that the Bible would talk about like sanctification or transformation. But as long as I'm living and breathing, my prayer is that we are building a church and a community that is actively engaged in the transformation journey where we are taking on the character and likeness of Christ, becoming more like him, progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with his person. 
Amen? I mean, that's worth doing. Come on. Okay. So, you are a? Come on, let's do better than that. You are a, so let's do like this. Say, we're going to say, I am a saint. Ready? One, two, three. Good morning, saints at Saltbox Church. Peter went to visit the saints in Lydda. Do you think they were all perfect? No. They were a mess, I guarantee it. Okay, just like us, be encouraged. God's in it with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. All right, point number two. The geographic location. So this is happening in the Valley of Elah. This is where David killed Goliath. Um, I'm, I'm going to throw some things out, and you're just going to have to like, let it hang and trust me for a few minutes, and I'm going to come back to it. But in terms of the geographical location, this is a little city called Lydda. It's out near the coast. It's only like 25 or 30 miles from Jerusalem. Um, but it's where uh, David, in many ways, transformed so much. Um, about uh, even um, the way we see the Bible. He became almost a messianic prototype, a foretelling of King Jesus, because King Jesus came not with grandeur, not at the front of an army, not with a huge crown on his head or the head of state. He he came in in a stable. He's laid in a feed trough. He's born of this little probably 13 or 14-year-old girl who was a peasant for all intents and purposes. Uh, People thought he was born sort of out of wedlock, which in a sense he was because he was a virgin conceived in Mary's belly through um, the empowering and infilling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, So Jesus came not with this massive grandeur in the sense that we understand an earthly king, but rather he came in the humility and likeness of a servant. So what happens in this David and Goliath story, and I'm not going to turn there, but I'd encourage you to read it at some point, is uh, you have the kingdom of Israel who is, is in fear, hostage to fear by the Philistine army, and you've got this big dude who I think it says he's like 10 feet tall, and he's got like 12 toes instead of 10, I'm really, and his his spear is like, I don't know, huge, it weighs X number of pounds, and this big sword, and he comes out and he's challenging, a challenger for the armies uh, of Israel, and they're at a standoff, and the idea in the old world was a challenger would come out, and if, if this guy goes Goliath won, then the Israelites would become subject to the Philistines. And if the challenger from Israel won, then the Philistines would be subject to Israel. So quick, quick nutshell. So what's wild is this little boy, David, who's probably no more than 13 or 14 years old, comes out and he has developed faith in God by tending sheep. Okay. And as he's developed this relationship and sort of this abiding knowledge with God and God has taught him how to shepherd people by shepherding Sheep, that's right. And he's going to be the future king. And God chooses often to train his kings in sheep pens and wild places and stinky places. And that's just what God does. Can't tell you why, but that's what he does. And so David comes out to fight this Goliath. And the king of, the, of Israel at the time wants to put on his armor. And he wants him to take his spear and his sword and his shield. And David puts on all this stuff. And he's just super clunky. And he can't figure out how to fight in. And instead, he takes all that off. And all he's got on is his little, his little um, sheep boy, shepherd-like gown. And his little leather sling, which was like, would be a leather pouch and two little straps. And he, he literally just takes his little river rock and he puts it in there. And he starts swinging this river rock thing around. And then he swings it up at Goliath. And it hits Goliath right between the eyes and it kills him. Now, here's what I want you to understand. And we're going to come back and we're going to tie it into Aeneas here. But God always uses what he has already put in your hand. 
Okay? God doesn't call you or expect you to step into something um, you're not. In other words, this Jesus journey group that we just took wasn't about getting everyone to look like, talk like, sound like, act like Michael. What garbage. It was actually about helping that group of people begin to abide in and walk with the Lord Jesus and look like the person that God created them to be. So you get this idea in scripture as Peter rolls into and says to Ananias, raise up. Um, and knowing what has already happened on the same geographical plot of land, that God is the one who is going to take what is in your hand. And oftentimes he is going to take what is your greatest failure and your greatest difficulty. And he is going to rise and cause you to rise through the resurrection power of Jesus up in and through that thing. And you are actually going to roll up your mat and stand on the thing that has held you captive. That's Jesus, it's the heart of the gospel. So I want you to hold this thing with David and Goliath for just a minute and we're gonna come back to it. So third thing that I want you to think about in this moment, Aeneas, verse 34, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, rise up, anastemi, anastemi, and roll up your mat. Okay, so he's paralyzed. Paralyzed means what? At least, probably waist down, maybe, maybe neck down, we don't exactly know, but he can't walk. Okay, so, so when they wanted to move Aeneas in the old world, they just roll out a wheelchair, right? Okay, so when they want to move Aeneas in the old world, how do they move him? They come out and they actually would grab the tassels at the corner of his mat okay so they they would pick him up and it would take three or four people probably and one would each get at the corner and they would pick up the tassels of this like if you've ever seen a like a persian rug or something a little bit like that probably longer tassels but they would pick it up and that's how they would transport him if he ever needed transportation now in today's medical world we've gotten sophisticated ways i don't mean to be gross here but i want you to fully grasp something because i'm going to flip it on you in just a minute this guy probably does not have a bedpan What's happening on his mat is nasty, okay? Urine, feces, stink, odor. It is his whole life. And you could begin to say that Aeneas is held captive um, by this thing, this disease in his body. He is sitting or laying on this mat, and it is, it is the thing that is always carrying him. It is his place of greatest pain, his place of greatest suffering, his place of greatest difficulty, his place of absolute shame. He can't escape his shame. He can't get away from his shame. It stinks in his world, and probably, just like with homeless people today, if we talked about Tony and Christine and Living Hope Ministry, which you did a few weeks ago, people come near to Aeneas, and what do they likely do? Yeah, fair? Okay, so Peter rolls into the scene in what is so classic Jesus, classic Bible, classic Yahweh God, is he goes to the place where other people refuse to go. Okay, and then not only does he go, but he gets on, you get this idea that Peter sort of gets on his level down with him and he gets into the grime and the difficulty and the pain and the shame with Aeneas. And then he actually looks at him and he says, Aeneas, rise up. But he doesn't just say rise up. He then says, roll up your stinky, shame-filled, embarrassing, you hate it, this is the place of your captivity, this is the place where you've been hurt and abused and laughed at and made fun of and rejected. Roll that thing up little by little and pick it up and carry it away. 
And so what I want you to understand about this Yahweh God, the God of the Bible, is wherever you find yourself in this day and in this moment, as you look back over the decades of your life, is that the most shame-filled, hurt-filled, pain-filled, the place of your abuse, the place of your suffering, the place of your difficulty, the place of your rejection, the place where you have felt isolated and abandoned and hated and hurt and all of those things, the place that you have most been damaged and held captive is the very thing that if you allow the finished work of the cross of King Jesus to be injected into your mind and your will and your emotions is the thing that Jesus will rise in and say, son or daughter, rise up and carry the thing that has carried you. That's the gospel of King Jesus. Carry the thing that has carried you. And then oftentimes what my Jesus does even further than that is that thing that has carried Ananias becomes the very platform on which he stands to now declare who King Jesus is. So some of us spend so much of our time um, hating our circumstances, looking back at our past, living in regret, living if only that didn't happen, or what if that didn't happen, or disappointed with God because of what he has let happen, or um, hurt, uh, bitter, sad, dejected, living in unforgiveness, um, victim mentality. I could go on and on, right? But if you can begin to surrender the entirety of your life to the lordship of Christ Jesus, then what actually begins to happen is God may heal you physically, but even more than that, he begins to heal and raise you up inside so that you can actually roll up the thing that has carried you. You can roll up the place of your captivity and your shame and your regret and your guilt, and you can actually carry the thing that has carried you. This is the gospel of Jesus. That's why it's called the good news. There is nothing that extends beyond the good news and the resurrection power of Jesus. Anastemi means rise up. If you're in your Bible, I'm going to read one verse out of Mark 9. If you want to flip there, if you want to listen, whatever. But Mark 9, verse 31 the Son of Man, who's the Son of Man? Jesus. The Son of Man, that's an Old um, Testament language for the Messiah, King of the Jews um, and Savior of the world. So the Son of Man, it's also what Jesus called himself. The Son of Man is going to be delivered over to human hands. He will be killed, and after three days he will? Honestemi. Same word. So when Peter rolls into Lydda, when Peter rolls into the same geographical area where David killed Goliath, when Peter, um, as the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, rolls into this little city and he gets down on Aeneas' level and he says, um, Onestemi, rise up. He is actually using the very same word that Jesus used of himself, that Yahweh God, if you will, used of himself when he said, I'm going to go to a cross and die, but after three days I will rise up so what Peter is calling forth in this moment is like he gets down on this level with him and he's actually saying honest am I rise up by the resurrection power of the risen king the ruler of the universe the creator of heaven and earth stand up off your mat and roll up the thing and carry this thing that's carried you stop sitting in your sin and your shame and your stench and rise up under the power of the gospel 
And what did Ananias do? He stood up. What if he didn't? I, I, I can't find that in the Bible, but it wouldn't surprise me if it happened. What if he didn't? I can't, Peter. I can't. I mean, go there a second. What would have happened? Is the power of Jesus enough to override your human will? Yes and no. Because he created you free. This is how a loving God can allow people to reject him and choose eternal darkness. If Aeneas had chosen to sit there, I can't. Is it possible that Peter would have moved on and the power of Jesus to raise him up would have moved on with him? Yes. Here's something, church. Whatever the place of your bondage and your brokenness and your hurt and your shame is, when the power of Jesus comes to raise you to life, heed it, listen, obey, stand up and roll up your mat and carry the thing that has carried you. I'll tell you a story that happened just a few weeks ago. I'm going to make some of you uncomfortable, and that's okay. Uh, there's a couple at our church um, who've been coming for a number of months, and they're making some final decisions about whether or not they wanted to call Saltbox their home. And they'd waited very patiently, like probably six months, to have lunch with me. I'm, I'm a bivocational landscaper. I have a limited, like, slots in my schedule and whatever. They've been really sweet. And so I got to lunch with them, and I sat down, and we began to dialogue and talk. And um, they said, Michael, we've heard you from stage mention some of your testimony. And we've also heard other people say some things about your testimony. And I'm like, oh. I'm pretty transparent and pretty open, but like, I wonder what's coming. Here we go. And they asked me uh, several questions. I'm not going to go into the questions. But we're sitting at lunch, and I'm across from them. And uh, first of all, let me just say I love that they had the courage to come and ask the questions. They actually said, we didn't want to talk to anybody else. We actually wanted to come right to you. Very biblical. I mean, very biblical. I just love this couple is like full of the Lord Jesus, full of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's just such a wonderful couple. And I have such respect for the way they navigated it. And so they, they began to ask their couple of questions. And some of their questions went back for me like 20 years ago. And I had this moment, I'm, I'm sitting at the restaurant table. We're sitting at Kava, that little salad place. Where, and we're sitting at Kava, and they ask me these questions. And I have this moment where it's like all of my old shame and all of my guilt. And it's like I can almost hear the voice of the enemy. See, you don't deserve to be a pastor. You're not good enough. You have failed. And it's like I'm sitting there at the restaurant. It, this, was, this all happened in like four seconds, right? Five seconds. But, but I am sitting there and it, it's like it is caving in on me. I, I mean, I feel the shame and it's like coming back. I, I feel my, 
I, I've, if you've been here before and heard me preach a long time, I talk about um, Darth Vader with shame and that scene in, um, in Empire Strikes Back where he goes, there's an admiral, he goes, you've failed me for the last time, admiral. And then he goes, <laughs> for me, and this is just in my life, but in my life, shame feels like that. <laughs> and I'm sitting there. <laughs> and I thought, I just said, Lord Jesus, All the accusations that I've just heard from the enemy are probably true. How do I navigate this? And it was like a shaft of Holy Spirit light shot through my wounded, broken soul. And I immediately, my brain goes to 1 Corinthians 1, and I'm actually going to read this to you. Starting in verse 26, it's, it's Paul, one of my favorite New Testament leaders. But he said, brothers and sisters, this is 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, if you're going to follow along. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Like Ananias, paralyzed, broken, in my own stench and shame and guilt. Not many of you were wise by human standards, Michael. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lonely things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that... <clears throat> I have tears in my eyes and can't read my Bible. <clears throat> God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is in our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. And I'm sitting at the lunch table, and it's like this Holy Spirit light sort of shot through my very soul. And I went, you know, all the things that the enemy just whispered and I just thought are true. And once again, Lord, I'm doing all this before I say a thing. Lord, I am going to take my brokenness and my shame and my stinky mat that has carried me, the sin of my past, and I'm going to stand up feebly on my weak legs and roll up my mat. And I'm going to carry the thing that has carried me. And then beyond that, at some point, I'm going to put the thing that's carried me down. And I'm going to step on it in the power of Christ Jesus. And I am going to stand on, because of the victory of King Jesus in me and through me, the shame and the guilt of the past. Now listen to me. Some of you or all of you probably need to hear this today. There comes a point in your journey where you begin to shuck the things of the past, the encumbrances of sin, your own stupid and foolish decisions, things you've done, things you've said, things you've failed to do, and you begin to step from those things into new life in Christ Jesus. And as you do, you find there's more encumbrances and more things, and so you shuck more things, and you continue to move in and through this Jesus journey of transformation through and in Christ Jesus. And the day does come and will come where you have 
have to confront some of your sin and your foolishness and your shame. And I don't know about you, but I want to be the type of person with Jesus that when Jesus shows up in and through the Apostle Peter and he says, rise up, get up, carry your mat, and then roll it up, that I in obedience stand to my feet, roll up that mat, and carry the thing that has carried I want to call us as a church, those things in your past that have shackled you or shamed you, things that you did by your own choices, abuse that you've experienced at the hands of others, betrayal by a spouse. We could go on and on and on. But the things that have held you captive, rise up and let them hold you captive no more. Your self-talk this morning might be, I'm a sinner, I'm not a saint. I'm a failure, I'm no masterpiece. I'm a fake, I'm not a genuine disciple. I'm stagnant, I'm not full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm distracted, I'm not devoted, I'm no good. And those things may have been true before Jesus, but as you continue to confess and repent and appropriate the life of Christ, exchanging your brokenness for the life of Christ in you and through you, those things are true no longer. And they must be taken captive and stood up, rolled up with that stinky mat. Do you think he kept that mat for long? Throw that thing away. Let the past be the past and move in and through the power of the gospel into the life that God has for you. I am now a saint. I am now a disciple, you might say. I am fruitful in Christ. I'm devoted and learning to abide in the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as God shifts and transforms and moves um, you out of what you have been into what you are becoming that is where sort of the heart move and the Jesus move meet in a powerful and beautiful way and every time you see more and more sin you exchange it for the life of Christ I'm sitting at that lunch table and what I heard that day was Michael rise up from the past rise up from your sin rise up from your choice to live in shame rise up from your self-condemnation rise up from your fear rise up from your insecurity rise up from your failure and then stand on and carry the thing that has carried you. What Peter would have been preaching in and through this text to the nation of Israel in this day and age would have been rise up from your idolatry, rise up from your deception, rise up from your faithlessness, rise up from your sin, rise up from your lies of self-determination and take up your place as God's chosen people. To Christians today, I think we would say rise up from the dead. Rise up from your sin. Rise up from believing that politics can save us. Rise up from your pettiness. Rise up from your fear. Rise up from your pain, your isolation, your distrust of God. Rise up from your pride. Rise up from your independence and take your place alongside the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. To you, if I could look into your eyes individually, I would say, rise up from your church hurt. Rise up from what your father or mother did or didn't do. Rise up from the abuse that you experienced. Rise up from the person that stole your business or your money. Rise up from the betrayal of your best friend or your spouse. Rise up from being abandoned by your parents. Rise up from the ugliness that a teenager or a spouse or a brother and sister is saying about you. Rise up from your sickness and disease. Rise up from your disappointment with God and take your place alongside him as a son or a daughter. Roll up that stinky thing that has carried you and you carry the thing that has previously carried you in the power of the gospel. 
If you are willing, God will call you to stand up and carry those things that carried you. You can rise up, and let me make a little point here because it's very important. You can be hope-filled, you can be grace-filled, you can be Jesus-filled, you can be peace-filled, you can be love-filled, and you can still be in the pain of the past and working it through. Rise up. Pick up your mat. Honest am I. Become a saint. Become a son or a daughter. Worship team, would you come out? Let's stand to our feet. We're going to close in a worship song. <clears throat> I'd love to invite our prayer team down here. If you guys or, and gals and everyone, whoever, our, worship te- or our prayer team would come down. This is a group of people. This prayer team is a group of people who has, come on, risen up. Say it. Risen up. That's all they are. They're just a group of people who has risen up in the power of King Jesus. If you want to be someone and if today you want to get up off of something and roll up something and carry the thing that has carried you, I would invite you to come down here and pray with one of them. Pray in your seat. Pray in this empty space in the front of our chairs. Pray where you are. This is the God of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe that can meet you right where you are. And the power of my risen Jesus is here to call you to rise up from your brokenness and take on the character and likeness of King Jesus. Amen. At the end of my lunch, the couple looked at me and said, if you can live through all that and still preach Jesus like you do, this is our church. Father, I pray that as you send us out today, that you would cause your face to shine upon us. Father, would you make us more deeply and intimately acquainted with your person and your presence? Would you allow us to sense your hands moving? Would you allow us to hear your voice? And Father, may we be a church that rises up under the resurrection power of King Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.